Hi, and welcome back to The Core. My name is Nick Monbello, and each week I bring you conversations with inspiring guests that can add value to the world and who we can learn from in order to improve our lives and improve who we are. This week, Tim Corcoran joins me on the show to discuss our connection to nature in today's modern world. Guided by vision and purpose, Tim has immersed himself in deep nature connection and earth-based mentoring throughout his life. He has studied with the best visionary mentors and wilderness schools across the country. And today, he's the owner and founder of both Twin Eagles Wilderness School and Purpose Mountain up in Idaho. In our conversation, we dive deep into his life journey, the role elders play in our community, and also his vast experience with traditional vision quests. Before we get into the show, I would like to take a moment to recognize my sponsor, Heart and Soil Supplements. Heart and Soil is a nose-to-tail supplement company offering the highest-grade grass-fed and grass-finished organ meats that I can find on the market. Simply put, Animal foods eaten nose to tail are the ultimate human multivitamin containing all of the nutrients we need to thrive in their most bioavailable forms without any of the toxins found in plant foods. If you'd like to try these supplements and improve your health, the coupon code THECORE10 will get you 10% off your order and also help support the show. Thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for all of your support. If you haven't already done so, please rate and subscribe to to the show so other people can see it as well. I truly appreciate your help. And now here's my conversation with Tim Corcoran. Morning, Tim. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I was actually first introduced to your work through Ben Greenfield, I believe, and then also Kyle Kingsbury, Aubrey Marcus. And I've listened to you for a couple of years now and just really really impressed with the work that you do, and I'm honored to have you here on the core. So welcome, and thank you for being here. Well, thanks, Nick. It's an honor to be here. Uh, To start, could we go into your background a little bit? What was it like growing up? Did you always have a connection with nature, or was that something that was a learned experience as you grew up? Yeah, absolutely. So so I grew up in the 80s, right, Uh, in Indiana, in the Midwest. So back then, you know, the, the world was pretty different than it is today, of course, right? We, what do we have? We certainly didn't have the internet and smartphones and all of this. Um, you know, we had a TV with, with what, like three channels. And I remember there being maybe one, one two good shows a week. <laughs> and so beyond that, uh, as kids, we were just outside all the time, man. Mm-hmm. Um, always stirring up trouble and, and exploring and... Um, I, I was a very uh, fiery uh, kid, right? I've, all, I've always had a lot of passion and a very sensitive kid. So um, I was always going on adventure. I love adventure. I've always loved adventure my whole life. And um, and so I had, a, in many ways, I had kind of an idyllic uh, childhood exploring nature, building forts, uh, you know, romping around the woods with my buddies. Um, and that was, you know, very simple, very in many ways uh, taken for granted. Right. Um, but very influential. And, uh, and I also had, uh, my dad took us on a couple of, of epic family vacations. One in particular, I think I was, I don't know, seven or eight, we went out to the Western States. Right. And and for Mm -hmm. the first time I saw the Colorado Rockies 
bursting out of the landscape, right? And saw the Grand Canyon and, and just uh, these forms, these beautiful elements of the of the Western world that really spoke something deeply to my to my soul. I think Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, at about that time as well, I, I I just had a natural fascination for for indigenous cultures and Native Americans in particular. Um, I didn't really know why or what that was about, but I remember being particularly fascinated by the old Earth-based cultures and this idea of living a life close mm-hmm. to the natural world. Um, so there was a lot of positives in my childhood growing up. Now, as well, I had a separate thread happening, um, which was, you know, kind of the unfortunate side, although something that I've come to peace with, which was the trauma, right? And I think most uh, most everyone has some element of trauma going on in their life. For me, um, I had I had a few significant threads. I faced some abuse when I was a young boy, uh, some significant bullying in mm-hmm. school, in particular grade school. And then my parents got divorced when I was a teen, like 15, 16. Sure. And these were all elements that were really tough for me, right? And had a big, big impact on my psyche and my on my heart, on my sense of self-confidence. And the place I would always go, you know, if if there was if if I was not feeling at peace was to nature, right? Mm-hmm. That was the one place consistently I could always go and I'd always find, you know, not just peace, but a sense of like letting all of that go, like a sense of healing and right empowerment and support on the journey. And while, you know, those were unfortunate circumstances that happened at this point in my life, and I'll probably get into that in a minute, you know, um, I've made peace with those experiences and learned to even find the gift in in that, which is quite a statement to make, right? To be able to find something positive from some really negative experiences. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a big part of the journey that we've all got to make in this life. So yeah, that was kind of the the start, you know, (laughs) Um, I, I can years. I can relate with your urge or feeling to get everything or separate everything from something that you love to do. And for me, that was yeah. martial arts and martial mm-hmm. arts was my escape from everything else going on in the world. My, my parents got divorced when I was 12. So similar time frame, yeah. And yeah. that's kind of where I found refuge in my being with me and connecting with myself mm-hmm. and letting everything else go on the outside world. So I, I can relate Beautiful. with you there. Yeah. We, we all need those things, right? I, I think we all really need those things. And for those to be healthy outlets is so important. I mean, we look around the world today and so many kids are, what do they have? It might be like a video game is, is mm-hmm. their world, right? Sure. Or something that, that they're, they're plugging into, which brings up a lot of concerns. Um, Anyhow, so, but yeah, man, that was, uh, so, so yeah, by the time I got to, um, wrapped up high school and got to college, uh, I went to college at, at Purdue studying computers of all things, uh, simply <laughs> because that's what I was good at, you know? Um, but it wasn't my passion. I hadn't quite yet tapped into like this life of purpose, right? This life of vision. Sure. Um, and I was still being the good kid playing by the rules, the whole bit, but, you know, in those college years, those were some, uh, there was a lot of transformation that took place. Um, as I look back at my childhood, I said, look, this is, this is like a crock, right? Like, 
what the hell? I mean, on the one hand, again, some really good elements, but on the other hand, like, look at my family, man, where it's broken apart. It sent a chasm down my soul and, and, you know, the abuse and the bullying. I was like, this is a result of this modern experience, the, the American dream. Mm -hmm. And, you know, personally, I, I just had to say, well, look where it got me and, and this is no good. Right. And, and look where it's headed. I mean, I was, I was starting to really take a look at the world and what was this 92, 93. And it was clear even at that point that the modern world was not on a sustainable uh, pathway. Right. Sure. And so deeply concerning and it's starting to ask those bigger questions. Well, what can I do, et cetera, et cetera. So long story short, um, I experimented with some psychedelics and that had a big, big impact on, on me. It really helped me kind of break out of my own bubble and experience that deep interconnection mm -hmm. with all of life. Now, listen, it wasn't ceremonially held, right? It was just me and my buddies screwing around in sure. college. And yet I, I found a, a deep, deep connection there that I recognized as significant. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't stick with that for too long, you know, a couple of years. Um, but I, I had an experience at the end where I realized, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stop doing all this stuff, the psychedelics, um, based on some, some bad experiences I had. Um, but there was, uh, it, it kind of lit a fire in me, Nick, where I said, you know what, there's a deeper level of consciousness available to us as human yeah. beings. And if, if this, you know, if, if it's accessible this way and yeah, there's some side effects here, some negative side effects, it, there must be a natural way to experience a greater level of consciousness and tap into that power and that interconnection mm -hmm. and that sense of wildness inside. And, and I somehow intuitively knew that, um, that the indigenous cultures of North America uh, perhaps held, held a, a pathway in that direction. So um, right, right about that time, I had a history professor who was part Lakota Indian who okay. was teaching an advanced history class, right? And it was really funny because it was like an introduction to indigenous shamanism masqueraded as an advanced history class at, you know, <laughs> at a conservative Midwestern university. And wow, boy, oh boy, did that just set me on fire. Um, he introduced me to concepts of synchronicity and, mm -hmm. you know, mitakuye oyasin, we are all related. And, uh, and through a series of synchronicities, I found a, had a, met a friend who was uh, working with, for the Navajo Indians in the Southwest in Arizona. And so, um, you know, during those middle years of college, I, I had my awakening and I realized, you know, I don't want to sit in front of a computer the rest of my life. I want to be outside in nature. Yeah. And this is where, you know, the, my path is. And I thought, well, what do I do? You know, I change majors and get a degree in forestry or something. I said, no way, you know, I'm, I'm done playing by the rules. I'm going to wrap up my degree and I'm going to go find my own path. Um, and so that was 96. I graduated and <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll always remember I, I, the, the day after I graduated, man, I, uh, I got in my truck. I put everything I owned in the back of my truck. I think I drove 40 hours nonstop out to <laughs> Window Rock, Arizona to meet my one friend out there and began to make a life for myself um, amongst the the Navajo people, which was an incredible journey, you know. Um, and and there was a lot going on, you know, well, I was 22, it was 1996, 
Um, and I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to play by my rules. I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to go after the career. I'm not going to go after the nine to five, the whole thing. Like I've, I've in some ways, I think my spirit recognized I've done that. I've played by these rules mm-hmm. and it's, it was so limited. It was so clear how limited that pathway was. Um, I said, why do I want to screw around for another 20, 40, 60 years doing this? I don't, I don't want to do that. So, um, spent a couple of years with the Navajo and what I was really looking for, Nick was like this deep, uh, this deep earth-based spiritual connection to the natural world. Right. And something practical that I could sink my teeth into and I could get my hands on. And it was tough to find, you know, I, I was, I didn't know anything. I was naive. I was kind of idealist. I thought, you know, I don't know what I thought. I thought the people would still be living close to the earth and like they weren't, they were just living a modern life, you know? And, uh, and there were factions that were small groups who were still practicing the old ways. Um, But it was very, it was kind of few and far between. And when I did find it, it would be really difficult to access, right? Like being an outsider, being Mm -hmm. the white guy. I mean, I remember, God, I remember being in there and just walking around the grocery store for the first time, looking all around me at everyone's, darker skin than me, right? And as a white male, I'm not used to, I wasn't used to being the minority. Um, and that, so there were some really important lessons in there. You know, while I didn't find outwardly what I was looking for, in many ways, I did find what I was looking for. I found, um, and that was through my own heart, right? Through my connection with the people. Um, after, because yeah, it was tough, right? Like a lot of folks wouldn't wouldn't open up to me, and, you know, understandably so looking back at it, but I was a really, you know, open hearted, naive <laughs> young guy looking for, looking for all this connection. And there were some that did. So anyhow, kind of fast forwarding through that, um, after a couple of years, I'd, I'd fall in love with, with Janine, who's now my wife. And um, she lived up in Oregon and, and we had met through a series of synchronicities. And I thought, you know, okay, it, it's, it's time to move on. So I wrapped up and... Well, they wind up throwing me this surprise party at the very, the very end of my very last day. And to my shock and surprise, there was this big giant gathering. Everybody at, at the company I had, I had been working at um, had come together with a big party, for, a big celebration for me, a big giant sheet cake, farewell, Tim. And they all lined up to honor me. And people one by one in a, in a very traditional manner came up and took a moment with me and shook my hand and uh, you know, they've presented gifts and um, op- and clearly they were opening their hearts. They were telling me how much I had impacted them. One man said to me, Nick, he said, you know, you're the first white person I've ever met that had a good heart. And he's like, until I met you, Tim, honestly, I didn't think any white people were good at all. And I was like shocked. I was like, oh, my God, you know, like. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't try for this, you know, sure. what is going on? And here's all these people opening up. I'm like, what the heck? Where were you folks? You know, <laughs> where was this level of connection the last two years I've been here? So all confused. Well, this one woman, Gloria, she took pity on me and uh, she was kind of a uh, uh, clan mother type figure in the, in the community. And she came up, said, Tim, I can tell this is all quite confusing to you, huh? And I said, yeah. And she's like, well, can I help you out? And I said, yeah. She said, well, listen, us Navajos, you know, there's this whole history between us and our people and your people. And, you know, we have a history of, of, of being hurt by, by your people. And so there's been a lot of hesitance for us to open up to mm-hmm. you. 
but the whole while you've showed up with an open heart and you've made your way into our hearts. And this is our way of letting you know you actually do have a place here. And it was shocking because I'm like, this is what I was yearning for in many ways the whole time. And yet now I'm leaving and they're yeah. saying, you know, it's yours. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, well, I'm in love, right? And like, I'm ready to move up to Oregon to be with my soulmate. And I say, look, you know, I, I would love to stay, but I, I'm in love. Well, what can I say? You know, it's my heart that brought me here. It's my heart that's moving me on. So she wound up petitioning Janine. She sent a letter to Janine and said, hey, uh, why don't you come down here and move down here to the Navajo reservation? And Janine wouldn't have anything to do with it. She had this whole other path that was going on. Um, but it was a powerful time for me to immerse in another culture, to kind of set aside my own unconscious cultural assumptions of how people relate, you know, just that I had just grown up with and experience another way of doing that. Um, and, and begin to, you know, make those connections. So moving on, Janine and I got together and uh, a couple years later, we wound up, uh, I wound up getting a book from an old college buddy that's told the story of this uh, Native American man who, uh, Apache man who traveled the world and, and, and met his basic needs through wilderness survival, mm -hmm. right? And, was able to hunt and gather and build primitive shelters and make fire the old way, rubbing sticks together. And, uh, and as well, who set forth his, his path uh, was a spiritual one in that he had discovered his vision and this idea of the vision quest and this idea of vision that, you know, life is not a random occurrence. Uh, my life is not a random occurrence. It is a uniquely special and there are unique gifts that we each have. And the grand adventure of life is to seek those gifts out, that vision out, and then to live it. Mm -hmm. And that was like, oh my God, man. It was like everything was coming together. All of a sudden, here's this practical earth-based spirituality that I had really kind of outwardly been looking for. So we wound up joining the school in the East Coast and learning all these skills and really for the next five years, we made that our life. We joined a, the school that was starting up in Vermont and, you know, give everything we had. I mean, 60, 70, 80 hours a week for five years. It was like a master's level in earth-based education, wilderness survival skills. Yeah. Animal tracking, medicinal edible plants, uh, you name it all alongside um, the spiritual journey of uh, earth-based ceremonies. We were really blessed to have a handful of indigenous teachers that were working with us mm -hmm. and sharing traditional teachings. Um, so I was just like so on fire. This is what I'd really been looking for consciously, you know, since I left college, but really, man, like my whole life, right? I mean, I would have died to have had this when I was eight years sure. old, right? Uh, a mentor and learn how to build shelters that keep you warm and dry in a thunderstorm and all of this. Um, so I embarked on, on a traditional path of, of the vision quest, uh, which is a traditional ceremony of spending four days and four nights alone in the natural mm -hmm. world um, with a single intent, fasting, with a single intention of why am I here? What is the, my vision? What is my purpose? And, um, and not surprisingly, uh, what came through was, was a reflection of all my deep loves and passion in life and my deep sensitivity, right? And I saw that 
um, I was going to get married and have kids and start the wilderness school and the whole thing. So after really moving along here after five years, um, let, let me say the other, the other big point that we really picked up at that time was this nature-based mentoring approach, mm-hmm. Nick, that being another way to address education that's very, very different than what I grew up with, right? Kind of modern academia. Um, that was all about cultivating curiosity and passion sure. in the learner, right? And this is something that the indigenous cultures were masterful at because they had essential survival knowledge that had to be passed on to next generation. And yet, there, where was the school? Yeah. There was no school. It was just life. You know, we sometimes refer to this as the invisible school. It was a cultural model of education where there was a, a level of mastery on the teachers or the elders, the adults part of knowing that they're going to effectively pass on information to the next generation and doing so experientially. So we took on this nature-based model of mentoring that totally lit me on fire, you know, and, uh, and had a pr- chance to practice this, sharing this with others, with kids and with adults. And, you know, it was a whole community-based model. We were, we were working with elders and, families and it was like the essential question of like what happens when a group of people come together around a central value of of nature and really honoring that at the center and so super inspiring um made tons of connections and yeah after five years we moved forward uh did a big trip across the country and started our wilderness school where i live now here in sandpoint idaho that was 15 years ago and now, I mean, we've, you know, we've touched the lives of thousands and thousands of people, mostly in our local community, but we do stuff, you know, uh, people come in from all around, um, uh, helping people connect deeply to nature. And it's, 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 you know, some people hear the term wilderness school, and I don't know, they think like preppers or something like preparing for the end of the sure. world. And that's never been what it's been about for me. It was all, for me, it's always been about that deep connection and that deep sense of aliveness, that deep sense of passion and fulfillment that comes from connecting with nature, the healing journey that unfolds, the connections with, with other people, with community, with myself, with nature. Um, and that, yeah, that deep fulfillment that comes from it. So um, maybe I'll pause there. there. There's one final chapter of how I started uh, Purpose Mountain, but I know I've shared a lot. So I'll, I'll pause there and see how, how that lands for you. Um, so a couple things, one, yeah. why, why Idaho? What, what was the decision on Idaho? You'd been down to Arizona, up to Vermont. How did you end up right. going to Idaho and starting there? Yeah. Well, like I said, I've, I've been a big believer in and follower of synchronicity my whole mm-hmm. life, right? That, uh, when there's two events that are seemingly unrelated that have a distinct connection, that and I've, I'm a firm believer that when those things, when synchronicities unfold, it is a, a message from soul. We could say from our deep essence, uh, a guiding light, a stepping stone on our broader spiritual path. So, <laughs> yeah, why Idaho? So we had traveled the whole country. We took like a whole summer and traveled around the country, and uh, really didn't know where we were going to go. I mean, I, I think both Janine and I knew we wanted to be out west somewhere in like a small town close to nature. Um, but there were so many options, right? 
And Idaho was like off the map. I was like, where's Idaho? Like, is that <laughs> Iowa or uh, where is that? You know? Yeah. And, um, and so what happened, we were, we were camping outside of Glacier National Park and randomly, like, here's a synchronicity, right? Randomly run into an old friend way the heck out in, in Glacier National, like back country, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we told him what was going on and, and he, and, 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 and he said, well, have you guys checked out this little town called Sandpoint, Idaho? And we're like, no, where's that? And he told us all about it. Well, so we go make the drive over and um, Sandpoint is up right on the edge of a big lake called Lake Ponderay. And it's in between two gorgeous mountain ranges, the Cabinet Mountains and the Selkirk Mountains. And when you come in from the south that most people do off the interstate and you have to cross the, the big, this giant bridge called, we call it the Long Bridge here um, to get over the lake and then into the little town. And I'll never forget this, man. It was like September... Uh, 2004 and a big thunderstorm had just rolled through and uh, it was sunset. And as we're crossing the bridge, this rainbow appears and you know, this is like right out of some sort of children's storybook. <laughs> the rainbow literally appears where the end of it was, was like lighting up the town of Sandpoint and this gorgeous sunset. And I swear to you, the angels sang and, <laughs> um, there, but there was, man, there was a deep feeling that, that actually washed over both Janine and I of coming home mm-hmm. and a rightness, a total intuitive feeling. I'd never been to this little town before, and I have no way to explain this scientifically, but I felt it. I felt it. So we did our homework. I mean, we researched the community and spent some time here and found that, oh, there's, there's this great uh, kind of progressive community here and tons of nature and, you know, everything we were looking for. And, you know, it was still hard, right? It was still hard for my logical mind to get around it. My logical mind wanted to, what, do a giant inventory of all the West, cool little towns in the West, (laughs) and then do a comparative analysis. But my heart knew, and I think my soul knew. And so after, I don't know, a few weeks, we were down with Janine's parents in, in Utah and, um, just hanging out one day. And I said, you know, hon, I, I think we both know where our place is, huh? And she's like, yeah. And and we both just kind of had to admit it. Like, yeah, it's Sandpoint. Mm-hmm. And, and we both just knew that. And so, so we went for it, you know, that was, yeah, that was 15 years ago. And we've since made a life for ourselves and a family. And, uh, and as I said, the wilderness school as well. Sure. I think there our brains today because of the world we live in wants to analyze everything and wants to, put it into specific bins or like logically go through whatever it is we're working through. But oftentimes it's just a feeling that you have, like, this is what I have to do, or you can't measure it in a certain way, but it feels right. And it's hard to explain that feeling when somebody asks you, why are you doing this? So I totally understand that feeling for you. Exactly. And interestingly, that feeling also tends to come along with another feeling, which is that of terror. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to be overly dramatic here, but every time for me, Nick, when I've felt that calling to kind of the next expression of my purpose, be it a place or a person or a body of work, or maybe just a way of being, there's always that deep draw and that kind of rightness mm-hmm. feeling in my heart. And there's always a feeling of like, 
whoa, this is risky. <laughs> you know, I, I, is this going to work? Yeah. Is it not? Uh, and, and that can be, that can be really scary. One of my teachers used to say, you know, when soul speaks to us, it is both irresistible and terrifying yeah. all at the same time. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. That for me was my wife and I's decision to have children um, kind mm -hmm. of early in life. Yeah. It, it really excited me. I was excited to be a father. I was excited to have a family, but at the same time, it just terrified me. Like yeah. why, why am I right to have a kid at 24 and go through everything so early in life? And we say early now because it's our perception of the world today. People have kids later and it was a challenge for me to get through mentally and work through mm -hmm. that in my mind like yes it's it's scary but it's also going to be one of the best things that you do in life so in yeah. the end we decided hey let's have a let's have a kid and we ended up having a boy last year and it's been oh, congratulations been one of the hardest but one of the best things that i've ever right done in there. life so yeah that's so cool yeah yeah, and I, I think that's one thing for our listeners I'd really put out there. I mean, that's one of my big wants for people in general today, and certainly our listeners, is to go after those things, you know, to, to slow down enough to look at what what is it that's calling me forward, Yeah, right? Because it does. It, it requires a certain slowing down, especially in our modern world. And, and there's nothing better than nature to help us slow down and, and get in touch with those callings because sometimes they can feel pretty subtle. Sure. Um, and then, of course, to find the courage as you did in your story and uh, uh, to, to say yes to those things yeah. and, and to go for it. And yeah, you know, not to throw the mind out. I mean, sure. Do your analysis if that's what you want to do. I mean, be responsible about it. How is this going to be in my life? But in the end, real recognize that we can, there is no guarantee. There's mm -hmm. always going to be that inherent risk. And that's what makes life worth living. Yeah. yeah. Um, could you touch on the importance of elders in our life and, you said you have had different mentors throughout your journey. Yeah. And yeah. today I feel as though we've lost the elder aspect mm. by, in our community. We don't have always have people that are teaching the children like they used to um, yeah. in the world. Yeah. Well, here, here's a simple idea that I think people might be able to connect with is that a life well lived is in term when we look at our time spent with other humans nick um, and this is something i try and do is is that we split our time in three and about a third of our time we spend with people learning from others people with greater life wisdom mm -hmm. or greater life experience that have something to teach us you know about a third of the time doing that another third of the time spent with peers people that are generally at a similar life phase that we can connect with we can sure. feel camaraderie and community with and share our struggles and our victories support one another and the other third the final third being spent with people younger than, than us this might be actual youth it might be teens it might be uh, adults but people who are yearning uh, and committed on a learning journey uh, to discover what we've discovered mm -hmm. and to help them along the way. When I joined that community in Vermont, we had this active community-based mentoring model in place. And a big part of that included elders, as I mentioned. And elders play such a significant role because there's a tremendous amount of life wisdom that's been accumulated 
And yet, sadly, what do we do with elders in our modern experience? And we throw them away into, into a, a nursing home or something, right? And yet, any time I ever have the chance to spend time with someone who's, you know, in their 60s or 70s or 80s or beyond, there's always like buckets and buckets and buckets mm -hmm. of wisdom. I mean, I just, I, I have a practice, even if I'm like on an airplane or something, I will, <laughs> I'm sitting next to, to an elder, I'll, I'll just say, strike a conversation and, and, and just ask a couple of good questions. And it's amazing how much help and support and perspective and wisdom is available there. And so when we look back to the old cultures, of course, elders were revered. And so that's been one of the big questions. Well, why is it that we, what happened? Like, well, why do we throw our elders away in the modern experience? And, and what, why is it so different than how an, say an earth-based or indigenous community would function? And I think one of the big answers to that, Nick, is that we don't have a shared story anymore, right? Things change so rapidly mm -hmm. for an 85-year-old, try to relate with an 85 or 90-year-old around Instagram and you know Facebook. And it's like, I mean, I, my grandma's actually 99, <laughs> And I can barely, she, she can't handle being emailed a digital picture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's only physical cards and notes that, that are going to get through to her. And so, so there's something very significant that's lost, right? And so the, I think the work of restoring those community-based mentoring relationships, elders, is then in finding, well, what is our shared story? And again, I go back to nature. Well, when, you know, if I like my boys right now, I've got two sons, they're 11 and 14 and, and they're big into birding. Now that's in part because of how we've raised them, mm -hmm. but there's a natural passion that anybody can relate to across time, you know, and it turns out uh, my dad's got a passion for birding. Now they're living in very different worlds, you know, my sons than my dad. And yet there's a common point. There's a shared story that they can find yeah. connection around. And that's just a simple example, but I think it makes the point, right? That where's our shared story? And from that point, then there's camaraderie, there's community, there's connection, there's trust that's built. And when the hard times come, when they come for everybody, simply because we're human beings, you know, those relationships are in place and the young folks or middle-aged folks can have a, somebody to go to and really open up to yeah. and ask for support. And more supports received, so there's less suffering in the younger generations. And then what happens for the elders themselves? They feel valued. They feel like they have a role in community. And, you know, the web of community relations slowly, one relationship at a time, is is rewoven. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I like the idea of finding commonalities because mm -hmm. often there's could be a focus on things that are going on in the world today solely from your perspective. And you try to relay that to somebody that's older and they don't understand. And then you just say, oh, they're just stuck in the past. They're doing things that right. they did back then. They're not adapting to the world now. But if you can connect with them and find a way to share what you're going through in a way that they would understand, then you can find that common ground and have a conversation yeah. around that. 
Exactly. Exactly. Because because part of it is where is the actual common ground? Mm-hmm. Where's the shared story? The shared narrative, and part of it is recognizing that you know it is about taking a step back and going meta. Sure. Right. I uh, another little story in my family. My uh, my uh, my grandma's husband, late husband, who just passed away, actually. He, uh, he had a phenomenal story of, uh, this is not tied in with the whole Native American theme, but he had a phenomenal story of um, starting off as a, like a janitor in his 20s at, at, at Cat, a Caterpillar, right? Mm-hmm. The, the company that makes all the giant um, um, construction machines and whatnot. And, uh, and he worked his way up literally to president and CEO of the company over 40, 50 years. And my wife asked him one time, as a couple of years ago at dinner, you know, she says, well, well, Bob, you know, how did you do it? And how did you face all those challenges in your life? And, you know, how, how, how did you, how did you grow so much and, and take this whole journey? And, and he said something I'll never forget, you know, Nick, he said, well, I had experiences that you might consider challenges. He said, but I want you to know, I, I never did. I never looked at them as challenges. I really always looked at them as a chance for me to grow, mm-hmm. an opportunity for growth. And he went on, but you know, that simple statement coming from a highly successful, you know, 95 year old at the time, like totally blew my mind. And I was, I'll never forget that. You know, I mean, you might hear that as a quote or see it on a meme on, on social media or something, but to hear it from a living person and to feel that, and like him embodying that truth, that's really different. You sure. know? And that had a, had a big, big impact. And so I think that's an, another example of that, you know, going meta and uh, where life wisdom can really be distilled and, and shared. Mm-hmm. Could we move on to, to vision quests a little bit and kind of the history about vision quests, where they kind of came from and then, the work that you do with vision vision quests and guiding people through them. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So as I said, um, I embarked on my first vision quest. Uh, well, that was what, that was the year 2000. So 20 years ago. And um, people oftentimes relate the vision quest to native American culture and understandably so, but if you actually slow down and do some research, what you'll find is that, that basic idea of that ceremony, fasting alone in nature, free of distractions with a singular intention of why am I here on this planet? What is my purpose? What is my vision? That's, you know, common in cultures around the world throughout history, right? I mean, from like, uh, you know, sure, there's all the examples of, of Native Americans and Black Elk Speaks might be one of the most well-known, you know, uh, books or where he chronicles some of that work. But gosh, I mean, Jesus is 40 days in the desert, um, Mahabana in the cave, uh, Moses on the mountain. I mean, uh, Buddha under the tree, right? There's all kinds of examples, mm-hmm. um, one after the next, after the next of this. So, I see it, and this is important, you know, as primarily as a human, um, a, a universal human technology, if you will, practice that that works. You know, one of my teachers used to call it the sledgehammer approach <laughs> to personal <laughs> growth. Um, there's something powerful about 
and I, I think if anything, even more powerful today about removing all the distractions, right? Um, really removing all the distractions and stilling yourself and holding that intention, you know, finding that burning desire within, finding that passion inside, that part that just has to know, why am I here? That part that wouldn't be satisfied at the end of life to look back if we, if you hadn't discovered it and lived it, mm-hmm. right? And kind of putting, a, making your stand. Some people call it the great timeout of life. It's like you get a great timeout in the game of life and you get to sit, and what do you do in sports? You take your time out and, and you, you go to the coach. And and so in the vision quest, it's like taking the great time out and, and you go to the coach of life. You get to talk with God, you know, for, for a time. And, you know, people hear that, oh, talk with God. Well, what does that mean? You know, well, uh, we have to go back to the original language of nature or the language of soul that some might say. And that is the language of of image and symbols and signs, synchronicity, as we were talking about, um, dreams as well. And again, universally, cross-culturally throughout history, we find that um, there are examples after examples of examples of individuals finding spiritual insight, medicine, connection, power, uh, deep truth, through the images. Sometimes those images might be from actual encounters with certain species or forms of the natural landscape. It might be an an actual mountain. It might be a lake. It might be the mountain reflected in the lake. You know, that was one for me. It might be a grizzly bear and it might be an inchworm. You know, there's, there's all kinds of examples, but just as powerfully, it might be um, a dream that comes in of you know a coyote or a dream that comes in of your great grandpa or grandma but invariably it awakens you know awakening that passion really getting still getting quiet asking that learning to passionately ask for um, for for our purpose for our vision and being willing to really slow down like really slow down and get real quiet, the quiet mind, um, and listen for an answer, not on your terms, but on nature's terms. You know, sometimes the vision quest just feels like sitting out there on top of the mountain for hours and hours and days and days, and it feels like nothing's happening. And then a magic moment might happen. It might just literally take a quarter second. I've had moments like that that wildly changed my life, so my life, a, 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 a deep moment of insight and revelation that brings it all together or, or brings me forward on my healing journey or shows me an image of, of what's to come. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it feels like, um, you know, people can always, always ask like, well, where does it come from? You know, is it coming from within? Is it coming from nature? Is it coming from outside of you? And the way I look at that, Nick, is that uh, I like the term soul, and I, I simply define soul as our deepest essence and where we find ourselves interrelated with all things. And so, and soul is the place that knows our vision, that knows our purpose. And so to connect with soul, you know, it's it's not a logical process. It's not a process that the mind gets mm-hmm. to have. It's a process of the heart and of the spirit 
of the soul. And so it's like we're in a whole other realm. And so if the mind is looking to prove this and give me some science or some logic that can prove this, it, it's it's a losing game, right? I could never prove to you that I that my vision is is true. Yeah. Just like I couldn't prove to you that I love my mom. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not true. It's just it, we're just operating in a different realm. So, and and of course, the power of the vision quest is that it works. You know, here we are, twenty twenty, and as a ceremony, it works. You know, it it brings us. It has the power to bring us to that deep sense of interconnection. It has the power to help us address our wounds and our traumas and find healing in those things and completion with previous life phases and experiences. And it has the power to show us a, a deeply inspiring image uh, of what's to come for ourselves. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of vision quests through my life. I, I don't know, 10 or 15 or 20 or something. Um, but that very first one, you know, there's old, some old traditional wisdom that would say that the very first vision quest, everything about your entire life is revealed symbolically and that uh, it might just take you a lifetime <laughs> to clarify that. And you may need more vision quests to clarify that first one. Um, but I, it is, I mean, it, it is, I, I look back and the whole, my whole journey with Twin Eagles founding that school and, and running it. 15 years was there, my whole journey, getting married, becoming a father. And even my newer work at Purpose Mountain, where I, that's where I explicitly work with people to connect them to vision and, and to purpose um, and support them on their healing journeys. Even that was revealed way, way back on that first, first quest, you know, 20 years ago. So I'm still learning from that now, mm -hmm. 20 years later. Yeah. And do you learn something new on each vision quest that you do? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Un undoubtedly. Um, if I'm really on track, I try and get out there once a year. Mm -hmm. um, they say a year is, is the full the full cycle of the of the earth you know, going through the four seasons. Sure. Um, they say it takes about a year to fully integrate um, a, a, a ceremonial pro earth based ceremonial process on that scale, uh, a vision quest. And in the time, the I'll say this, you know, for me, the the years that where I have been able to uphold that, things go really well in my life. Mm -hmm. like they just really do. And but I've had some dry spells. You know, I've had times where several years went by where I went without one. And those classic. I look back and like, man, those are the times where I struggled the most. Yeah. So I, I learned st so much because um, there's always so much to learn. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer in 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 the philosophy that life is a learning journey mm -hmm. and there's no end. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Do you, do you feel that everybody has a purpose in life and they are in the process of trying to figure out what that is, or you have to cultivate your purpose, if that makes sense? Sure. Well, I absolutely believe that everyone has a unique purpose in mm -hmm. life, hands down. Um, soul tends to, call to us in different ways, you know? Sure. So I believe that, I believe that everyone is called, right? Like there's some experience happening for everybody that's drawing them to that. Mm -hmm. The question is just for individuals is do you, are you making yourself available to that? 
right? And if if the path is driving the ego hard and very rooted in material, uh, the material worldview, um, you know, and constantly staying busy and all the rest, that's a rest. It's just a great way to stay disconnected from the voice of soul, mm-hmm. you know. Um, to the journey of connecting with soul is is that of and vision is that of surrendering. It's about getting quiet. It's not about asking not so much, you know, what do I want out of life as much as what does life want out of me, right? What are those natural gifts, right? For me, for example, um, you know, my sensitivity I was talking about as a boy, I'll tell you what, man, that was no fun to be the sensitive boy when I was in <laughs> fourth grade locker room, right? Like, dude, that got me beat up so many times, yeah. you know? And I hated it. I mean, it was just, it sucked. And yet I've come to peace with that. And now I look at my work and that sensitivity, I mean, that's the thing that allows me to like read others and support others, feel empathetically what's going on Mm -hmm. with them. I couldn't imagine doing the work I do now with individuals or groups um, without that gift. I mean, it would be like trying to fish without a fishing pole. (laughs) Just like I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And so yet, you know, the transition for me was a a tough one. Uh, You know, it was hard for me to face all those wounds and to face that suffering and that pain in there and take the healing journey and turn it around and claim that sensitivity as a gift. For years, I resisted. I didn't want to. And that makes sense, right? Because it had hurt me. I'd gotten hurt. So of course I didn't want to. But when I finally did, it was like the greatest thing, right? And I was like, oh my God, this literally is my superpower. I've been denying all this time, right? And so that's that idea of, that's what life wanted out of me. I didn't choose to be a sensitive guy. I was just, it's how I was born. Mm -hmm. It was the hand I was dealt. And so it was about me surrendering to that, right? Not pushing up against it and saying, oh, I'm going to be the tough guy and da, 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 you know, um, does that make sense? This idea of what does life want out of yeah. me as opposed to what do I want out of life? I think oftentimes we see our differences as a bad thing sometimes yeah. um, when we compare ourselves to others. But if we stop comparing ourselves to others and kind of celebrate who we are internally, it can really do us favors further on, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Huge favors, huge favors. And those favors can turn into favors for others. Yeah. You know, when we really surrender to our pa- our passions, our purpose, our gifts, our vision, that's where we really have a chance of making a difference in this world, mm-hmm. touching someone else's life. Right. And invariably, that's what leads to deep impact, deep meaning and deep fulfillment that yeah. I think most everyone yearns for on some level or another. And kind of all plays along with the Aubrey Marcus's fit for service portion Uh of you first have to be fit for service before you can serve others. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a quote that I love, which is, uh, this is from Michael Beckworth, who's a spiritual teacher. And it says, uh, the quote goes, the pain pushes you until the vision pulls you. And what he means by that is, you know, at some point we all wake up to our, well, we have an opportunity to wake up consciously to ourselves, our spiritual life. And typically for many people, 
uh, one of the first things we wake to we wake up to is what's not working in our lives the pain right maybe this is a result of trauma maybe it's a relationship that's not working maybe it's a dead-end job uh, but we find we ourselves in a painful relationship to life like this is not working and we sense something else is possible it doesn't you know there's a greater expression of life possible here and so the, then the work proceeds to unfold of addressing that if, if we choose that mm-hmm. right and, and if we take if we're responsible we recognize i'm the common denominator here and i can work on myself it's not about pointing the finger outward it's about working on myself here and uh and there's a magic moment that happens nick where we kind of catch up with ourselves. What I mean by that is, you know, life, there is a lot of trauma that's accrued for people in this life. And if that's not addressed, it's going to show up in painful experiences and things not working in life. So when we address that and go back and take that healing journey, you know, make ourselves, that's the process that you're talking about. And Aubrey talks about making ourselves fit, you know, completing what needs to be completed, healing what needs to be healed, Mm -hmm. catching up with ourselves in that way. Um, that might take some time. Sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it takes years. It's taken years for me. Um, but a magic thing happens, which is when we do that, suddenly it's like uh, vision, the power of vision gets even stronger because no longer are we driven by our wounds and what's not working in life. Now we have a real opportunity to be driven by a brighter picture of tomorrow Mm -hmm. by what it is we really want to create how we want to serve how we want to leave this world better than we found it and that's the second half of the quote pain pushes you until the vision pulls you and so when you're in that first half you know sometimes i liken it to a journey of climbing a mountain Mm -hmm. the first half up to the peak is pain is like pushing you up that mountain right and there's resistance it's like I, i'm going up i'm going against gravity it feels like it's hard work dang it you know and and all of that but you, we do crest the mountain at a certain point and we may have some false peaks along the way sure. but there does come a point when we hit that peak and then on the way down it's a it's a very the quality of the journey is very different now gravity is going with us now you know uh, there's all this momentum and, and I, I think I, I can fairly squarely say that I've arrived at in that portion of my life here at 46 years old. It's, mm-hmm. It has not been quick to get, get to this side of the mountain. <laughs> um, I've certainly made plenty of mistakes along the way, but I found myself on the other side and having addressed all that pain. Now on the other side, I have a really much deeper relationship with my vision um, where I can truly enter into service. Yeah. Um, to go back to your your comment there from Aubrey, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the idea of between having it be selfish to work on yourself versus give to others where you should be selfless, but in order for you to be selfless, you have to be selfish at some point, but other people may not perceive that as the process that you're going through. Um, yeah, it's a great question. Does that make sense? Great question. Totally. Yeah. Well, again, I go back to nature and when I look at to the natural world, everything is in a reciprocal relationship. Mm-hmm. There is a give and a take with everything in nature from a little you know, mouse to a great tree to the Grand Canyon, big and small. There's 
of receiving that everything has in nature, right? And then there is a giving. Mm-hmm. And that's the same for us. You know, how is it that I'm going to give anything of real value and meaning if I haven't received that myself? Sure. You know, just look to kids. I mean, to simplify things, look to a kid. Look to a kid who didn't doesn't get their needs met, who doesn't receive love, who doesn't receive even just the basics, got clean food and water. You know, what's going to happen to that kid when they're, they become a young adult? You know, it's not good. Yeah. We all know this is common sense, you know. And so what needs to happen? They need to receive something good before they can give. Um, I look in my community, the kids uh, at our wilderness school that I've been mentoring. I've had the blessing of mentoring youth for, you know, 15 years. So I've, I've got people who are students that are 20 years old. I've been mentoring since they were five. <laughs> And when an individual like that, you know, have gone through rites of passage and the whole bit, um, when an individual like that hits 20 years old and they've really been given to and the community has shown up and really mentored them and helped mm-hmm. draw out their gifts and supported them and listened to them and cared for them, you know, what happens is very natural and organic. Those individuals naturally want to give back because they were given to, because they received love because they received that transformation. They know what it was like to go through and receive that. So of course they want to give back. Sure. Right. And so to all of us who are maybe starting this journey a little later, who aren't getting mentored since we were five years old, and I recognize that's probably most everyone listening, (laughs) um, you know, and that was my story, right? I didn't get this when I was a kid. Um, We've it's got to start with it has to start with us, I believe, by definition. And it doesn't mean that you don't have anything to share. Of course, you have things to share, but you have to be able to receive first Mm -hmm. and in order to give. And wouldn't we want that for the people we work with? You know, I I, I would. I, I want everyone to be able to receive and that we're all in that reciprocal uh relationship with with life thank you that very beautifully said thank you no you're welcome man yeah absolutely uh i have two final questions for you uh the first are you currently reading or learning anything in particular yeah absolutely so as i said you know i've been a big um the vision quest has been like my primary spiritual practice for all of my adult life you know Mm -hmm. 20 years and what I'm really fascinated by now is other technologies or approaches into altered states of consciousness, because the mm-hmm. quest certainly brings about an altered state of consciousness. So I'm really looking into, I've been st- working, uh, studying Stan Groff's work, uh, holotropic breath work, um, actually a, a renewed interest in psychedelics as well. And, uh, and other practices really at, at, with this, the sa- sacred essential question of, you know, what are these different paths into an altered state of consciousness and where does that overlap yeah. and where does it not, you know, where are there unique pathways that have something truly unique to offer and what pathways, you know, and where is their overlap there? And, you know, Briefly, I, what I keep coming back to is the importance of mentoring, mentors, and a, commu- and a community-held ceremonial experience to really draw out the best of the, of the work mm-hmm. uh, for individuals. Yeah. And then 
Is there anything that you do on a day-to-day basis to ensure you're better than you were the day before? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm a big believer in everything that I teach. So probably my biggest number one routine daily is time in nature. Mm-hmm. And it's more than just spending time in nature. It's about the quality of awareness, right? Because there's quantity and then there's quality. And a person could spend weeks, months, even years in nature and not you know, reach the deep spiritual depths that really have something to offer. But somebody else could spend 10 minutes in nature and have a wildly spiritually transformative experience. Mm-hmm. So going out with in clear intention on kind of pushing my own edge, receiving the support I need to receive. And sometimes that just looks like relaxing, you know, other times it's like, okay, um, I'm being called to my next level of service here and I'm needing some guidance. What does this look like? And then as I was saying that deep practice of the quiet mind and really listening. Um, But yeah, man, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, as we wrap this up, I, uh, one of the points I really want to make, make sure I drive home is just the imp- how strongly I feel about the developmental importance of connecting with nature for us as human beings. Sure. I mean, this is a, what we're talking about is human beings connecting with the planet that they live on, right? This is as fundamental as it gets. And we've had this grand, crazy experiment the last few hundred thousand years you know, with the industrial revolution and now the information age of what happens when we can disconnect people from nature. And I'm not sure it's going so well. (laughs) I'm not sure it's going so well. From my perspective, we really all have an innate need developmentally, Nick, to make that deep connection with, with nature. And when we do that, so much more comes on board. The science has been done. I mean, it's good for body, heart, mind, uh-huh. and spirit. And there's probably more studies that could be done about the spiritual benefits of nature. But even a lot of that has been done. Um, Institute for Noetic Science has, out of California have, has done some, some great studies on that. But the point being, you know, just how essential that is. And not as a one-time thing, like, oh, I did it and I've got the T-shirt. So sure. just like eating and breathing and drinking clean water, we need that regular um, committed connection to the natural world. Mm-hmm. So that's my, my big one. But yeah, I've got my morning routine as well and an evening routine and time with family and uh, a number of other things. But if, if, if there was one to hone in, on, I think that would be it. And I think now, now more than ever, because we have been, we've been told that we have to stay inside or we can't go see other people in parks right. or beaches and, Sure, they're opening up here and there, but a lot of people, there's a sense of fear to do that in a way. Mm-hmm. And luckily, we have people like you who are speaking about the benefits of nature and why we have to experience that in our life. Because if we don't, the outcomes may not look as good as we hope they are. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the work that you do. And where can people find you if they want to learn more, if they want to work with you on a vision quest or just learn about the work that you're doing? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I've got two businesses, as we've talked about, there's Purpose Mountain and then Twin Eagles Wilderness School. So Purpose Mountain is just www.purposemountain.com, just like it sounds. 
Um, and I've got a, a free download there. People can check out some of my work. It's like a 30, 40 page workbook. Um, some fun connections to just start the process of connecting with soul and with nature. Um, that's for Purpose Mountain is really uh, what I created that's very much explicitly designed for people yearning for mm -hmm. uh, discovering their purpose, their vision. Um, I do vision quest work there. And then for people who are really yearning to make more of that direct connection to nature, just for nature's sake, not so much interested in the purpose, uh, they can check out my wilderness school. That is Twin Eagles Wilderness School on the web. It's just www.twineagles.org. Well, thank you, Tim. Uh, thank you for being here and thank you for the great discussion. Yeah, you're sure welcome, Nick. It's been a real pleasure and I, I appreciate this opportunity. Have a good day. All right, you too. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Tim. Please check him out at both Twin Eagles Wilderness School and Purpose Mountain. Uh, he's somebody that I've heard over the past couple of years on many different podcasts and just somebody that I really appreciate what he does and the work that he offers and is definitely somebody that I'm looking to work with in the future, specifically with my son when he comes of age to do different uh, wilderness practices and rites of passage uh, that he offers at his school. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you here next week on The Core.